0: Well, good morning, church. It's great to see you this morning. Um, Man, what a wonderful way to fellowship together than to worship God this morning. Man, that was an awesome worship set. I just want to thank the band up here for their service to us. And so they just did an amazing job. And uh, the first thing I want to say, I just want to ask you a few questions. And so the first one is I want you to be thinking about this, is think about a time that you had an opportunity to help someone in a time of need. And think about what you did for that person. Or the second one is, think about a time when someone helped you out in a time of need. And so I want you to be thinking about that as we run through this message. Because I believe if you're really thinking about those things, I think you're going to gain a lot today. But I want to share one thing that happened to me. And so uh, I remember, so my parents aren't bad parents. I just want to say that first and foremost. I didn't have the pre-K experience. My first experience in school was when I went to kindergarten. And uh, I came out okay, it was fine, but I remember when I went to school I was so excited because everyone before this, everybody that was my friend, were my cousins, they were family members. That's all I knew. And so this is the first time in my life that I was going to go out into the public, at the public education level, and meet people that weren't my family that I could be friends with. So I was super excited. And lucky for me, my birthday lands in October, which is about a month and a half out. Well, I remember my first kindergarten experience, i walk in, I think everyone likes me, and so i go in, when my birthday comes around, I'm inviting people, I'm like, yeah, you know, come to my birthday party, it's going to be awesome, you know, please come, it's going to be a really great time, and so when I hyped it up, I knew I needed to go to my parents and be like, hey, we got to like be up there at this level, because I just hyped it all up, and um, by the way, I'm five. And so I go to my mom and I'm like, hey, you know, what are we doing for my birthday? And I can, she probably doesn't remember this, but I do. And she's like, oh, we're going to be at your aunt's house. We're going to be swimming. She had a diving board and a slide. And I'm like, say no more. It's going to be awesome. And so I remember inviting them to it. And I was thinking to myself, I was like, I got to plan this out, and so, you know, the first thing we're going to do, we're going to jump on the trampoline that she had at that time, and it'll be great, and then we're going to go have a cake and ice cream, because that is a staple for any birthday party that is epic, and then afterwards, we got to wait 30 minutes, because that's what adults do for us kids, that we have to wait 30 minutes before we can go swimming, and then we're going to go swimming, it'll be epic, and then I get to er open birthday presents, and then now it's doubled, because if 22 people come from my class, that's 22 extra presents, and I'm super super excited. The only issue with all of these things is not one person showed up. It's sad. I made it out okay, right? I I didn't mean to start the sermon out on a sad note. It was still a good time. My family still came. It was a great time. It really was. But I would be lying if I, I didn't feel that inside. My first school experience, I was like, man, like no one wants to be my friend. And so when I went back to school, I was hoping, I had like this sense of false hope. I was like, maybe something happened. Maybe I had the wrong date, the wrong time, the wrong address on there. No, all that stuff was right because I found one that was laying in the trash can by the teacher's desk. Second one, and so I was thinking about that. I was like, man. And so I was like, well, maybe they had an excuse. Maybe they didn't clean their room or something happened like that. But when I showed up to school, not one person gave me an excuse why they did not come to my birthday party. So now I'm mad. I'm like, you know what? I'm not talking to these people anyways. I'm just going to start my life. I have no friends anyways. So I went to the playground that day, and I went to the swing set and swung by myself. And so I was swinging by myself, and this kid comes up to me. He's like, hey, my name is Kyle. I heard our moms are friends, and I heard that you know, no one came to your birthday party. Well, I having a birthday party in a few weeks, do you want to come to mine? And at first I was like, no, like, you know, you're going to experience everything I experienced. And then I was like, you know what, I, you know, I should go. And so I have a video I want to share with you real quick what that conversation led to. Five-year-old Colby, man, time flies. But I show you that because that's what a conversation led to. That's Kyle Eberlin. He's one of my best friends. He's about to have a kid on his way, so congrats to him. And we're still friends to this day. The funny thing is I had this already in my sermon thinking about it, and this video was shared on Facebook just like two weeks ago. And so it just landed perfectly that this happened, and I wanted to show you this, because the moment that he invited me to his birthday party started a lifetime of friendship, a time where I needed it the most. He knew it, and he shared the love of compassion with me for the first time in my life that I had not experienced from just a family member, but from a stranger that met me. And I remember the feelings that I felt, and you can probably remember the feelings that you felt too whenever that happened to you or what you did for someone else. They probably shared those experiences. And lucky for us, the Bible talks about a lot in Scripture. So if you don't mind, stand with me. We're going to read Acts chapter 3 this morning, and I want to show you how it relates. Acts chapter 3, I'm going to give you all a couple seconds to flip there. It says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid there daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, and as did John, and said, look at us. And so he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them walking and leaping and praising God, and all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. God bless the reading of the word at this time. You may be seated. When I I read this passage, I was like, what a beautiful passage. What a beautiful piece of scripture. This is one of those pieces of scripture where you come back to over and over and over again because of the beautiful message that lies within it. And so it led me to my title for you this morning, which is Calm Passion. Calm Passion. And you're probably looking at it like, dude, you spelled it wrong. I'll get to it in a minute, and I'll explain why. But that is our title this morning. And as we dive into the passage, we see a crippled man, right? A man, he, he can't move. He can't do anything, he can't walk, he at that time it's extremely difficult to live because unless you had someone that was going to take care of you, you were almost left for dead. You could do nothing. It says he was laid there at the temple gates daily, meaning everyone that went in and out of the temple saw this man almost every single day. And as Peter and John see him begging for money, they address him. And I don't know about you. But if I, if I was one that was begging for money, and I was in that place, and someone addressed me, I would be like, oh, I'm about to receive some money. Like, I'm going to be able to eat and live, and this is exciting, right? How many of us have ever had a false sense of hope or a story about that? Well, I have a good one for you this morning. So me and my wife, we moved into our first apartment, and uh, you have to do that thing with your spouse where you figure out who does what chores, right? And I know some people in here are going to be like, well, chores are broken evenly. Me and my wife, you know, we, we share the, the, the workload and stuff like that. I, I, I call, you know, that is not real at all. That's not real life because my wife does not take the trash out, nor do I ask her to take the trash out. But I remember when we first moved in, the first thing I said was like, I hate doing the dishes. I literally do, dislike doing the dishes so much. And so I go to her and I'm like, look, baby, I love you. I will do everything else. I will fold your clothes. I'll do your laundry. I'll put the clothes up for you. I'll vacuum. I'll scrub the toilets. I'll scrub the bathroom. Like, every single day, I, just do not make me do the dishes. Unfortunately, the one that I married does not like doing the dishes just as much as I do. And so I was like, I was like no, and I didn't figure that out until we moved in the apartment. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And so... She did the dishes the first time because that's how she is, and so she took that load off of me. But I remember when I came up to do the dishes a few weeks later, and I was like, I have to come up with a plan. Like, I can't, I can't be doing the dishes. I hate it that much. And so the first plan that came in my mind while I was doing them was if I do them poorly enough, she will never ask me to do them again. And so I'm like, okay, cool. And so I turn the cold water on, and I take the scrubber, and I'm just like scrubbing really quick, but then to top it all off, the cherry on top of the cake, I take that clean, clean cup, and I place it on the crummy, not wiped down counter, right? No drying mat, no paper towel, no towel, no drying rack, none of that, just straight counter, and as I did that, the third dish in, I can see her looking at me, and I know what's about to happen, And so she's stomping to me, and she's like, are you kidding me? And so she's mad at me, but what she doesn't know on the inside, I'm grinning from ear to ear. I'm like, this is it. Like, it works. She's going to take the scrubber from me. She's going to be like, never do dishes again. I can't trust you with the dishes, so don't ever do it again. And I was like, yes. What do you think happened? Not that. Right? False sense of hope. Not that. She ended up giving me a 45-minute lecture on how to do the dishes, then she didn't do the dishes at all. She was using the same dish over and over again, so she didn't even, like, help out with the ones that were already in the sink. And then she said, I need to do the dishes for the next month because I needed practice. So it actually backfired on me, right? And so I think about that, and I'm like, that false sense of hope in that moment, I'm like, man, this is probably somewhat related to what this man felt like. Like, he is about to get money. This, th- what he was trying to do, like, it was about to work. But then Peter says... I have no silver and gold to give you. And I imagine what that man felt like. But what I love is what Peter says afterwards. But what I do have, I will give. See, we see Peter showing the utmost compassion for this man. Because he sees something that this man needs, right? He sees something that this man needs help. Right? And so many people were walking by him, I'm sure, because he sat at the gate where everyone entered it out of the temple. So all these people were walking by him, and he finally said, I need to do something. Right? I need to do something more. And when I look at that, I'm like, that's a difference between sympathy and compassion. Right? Sympathy is saying, I feel for you. Right? I feel your situation that you're in. I feel bad for you. Sympathy can be easy, but compassion is action. And I think, unfortunately for us, that there are more Christians today feeling apathetic than they are even feeling sympathetic. But the first way that you learn how to be compassionate is you have to learn sympathy. I love this spiritual definition of compassion. It says, involves acting to alleviate the suffering of others. Acting to alleviate the suffering of others. So to break that down for you, to activate and alleviate the suffering of others, you have to first understand that there is suffering. And then you have to alleviate it, which means action. You have to do something to pull that suffering away. But how do we understand this? How do we, as a church and as people, how do we understand that? It leads me to our first point today, which is compassion is mission. Compassion is the mission. It is the mission of the church to be compassionate. Because could you imagine the outlook of what this, man, this crippled man would have been if Peter and John would have just walked by him? Like the man would have looked at the temple and the people in it through a different lens, right? Instead of walking and leaping and praising God, we would see a man probably turned away from God. And I think of thousands of Christians today are lacking compassion. You know how many times I've heard the phrase, I don't go to church because of blank? I don't believe in God because of blank, right? I don't go to church because that church is full with hypocrites. I don't go to, I don't believe in God because they're just a bunch of hypocrites. And I don't go to the church because the worship leader didn't say hi to me one morning, right? Shout out Dustin. Make sure you're saying hi to everyone. And sure, you can boil that down to like people make excuses, people get their feelings hurt, but I believe really in reality, even though some people are making excuses, the reality is, is that the root of all these things, there are people like us that are lacking compassion. Some of those statements are valid. And just last week, we learned that loving God is loving people. Well, I believe loving people, it's going to involve compassion. When I was a kid, I was about 10 years old. I used to go to Awana's. Anyone else used to go to Awana's or know what it is? Awana's was epic. But I used to go to Awana's every Wednesday night, Sunday morning, I was at church. And, uh, but I was friends in the area that we lived in with a bunch of unchurched kids. They were a few years older than me. And I look back at it now, and I'm like, man, why are these people even friends with me? We're completely different people. Like, there's no way that—I don't know why they would ever want to hang out with me. But I remember one time— this is how bad it was that sometimes they would get in like fist fights with their parents. They're like 11 years old. And so sometimes they get kicked out of their house at like 10 o'clock at night. And so they would ride their bike over to my house and they would knock on the door because we were friends. My dad would answer the door. They would come inside. We would love them. We would care for them. They would come over. I was like, man, I was 10, and on school night, kids were staying the night at my house, and I was like, this is awesome. So, you know, I'm feeding them, pulling out the video games and all the things, because, you know, I'm 10. That's, that's what I'm trying to do. But I remember one Wednesday, they really wanted to play with me, but I couldn't play because I had to go to church. And so my grandmother was like, why don't you invite your friends to church? And I was like because I'm not cool. Like, if I ask them to go, they're going to say no. They're going to laugh at me, right? They're barely hanging out with me as is. Like, imagine I ask these kids to go to church that have never been to church. It's just like, no, you need to go suck it up and go ask them. I was like, okay. So I go up to them, and I'm like, you know, would would you guys want to go to church with me? And literally, at that point, they just start busting out laughing, right? They're like, this kid just really asked us to go to church with them. And they're like, church is boring. I don't want to go. And I'm like, no, hear me out, hear me out. Juana's is epic, um, there's pizza. It's pizza night. And they're like, say no more. I'm in. So they come with me to church, right? Pizza attracts kids to church. And so they come to church with me, and I'm super excited until we pull up to the lot, and I'm like, get super nervous. Because right now, I'm seeing my Sunday school teacher, whose name is Miss Peggy. And I'm, in my mind, I'm like, this little lot of mine You know, like, you know the story, like, all the B-I-B-L-E, all those things. She used to sing those things to us. I'm like, she's about to sing to these kids, and they're just going to run all over this old lady. And I'm so nervous for her right now because she's so sweet and loving. But these kids, you know, they're not, they don't know how to act in public sometimes. And so she wasn't around them. Like, they're going to give her a heart attack. And so that went by. And on the way home, I was like, well, guys, you know, how'd y'all like it? to my surprise, he's like, we loved it. It was great. We want to come back next week. I was like, awesome, let's go. And so week two comes by, and then week three goes by, and then week four goes by, and then week five goes by, and on the fifth week, they get to church, and they found out that a few people had actually paid for them to go to church camp. And so they were able to go to summer camp with me, and they go, and they get saved, and and their lives get changed. And, And I think about that stuff, and I'm like, man, like, I'm like, that's so incredible, but I talked to him a few years ago. I was catching up with him, and I was just like, "You know, man, like, why'd you go to church with me? Like, why? Like that—that that is not your vibe. That's not who you are. But you decided to go with me." And this is what he said. He said, "Colby, I came from a broken home. At times, I thought my parents did not love me. There were sometimes I didn't know if I was going to have food on the table." But even through all of that, you and your family showed me the utmost compassion. And I wanted to know what was there at the root of that compassion. Wow. Ten years old, I didn't know I was making a difference. I didn't know I was making any difference in these people's lives. But it made a huge difference. And the church made a huge difference on these kids' lives. And it transformed them. And when I think about that, I'm like, without compassion, the church is dead. Compassion is the one sole purpose of the church. I believe compassion is a movement of God. And if the church is a movement of God, don't you think that compassion needs to be in it? But not just any shallow compassion. Because I think about this. If John and Peter did have silver and gold and they were walking by the man, look how easy it was just to throw him a few coins, right? The man wanted silver and gold. Let's give him silver and gold. But I firmly believe if they would have done that, guess where that man would have been the very next day? Right place at the beautiful gate the exact place he was at. And sometimes I think it's not the church's business to only, and hear me, only make the present condition more bearable. The task of the church is to release here on earth the redemptive work of Christ. Matthew 28 19 go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptize them in the name of the father and of the son and the holy spirit when I hear that verse over I'm saying church new day church the people in it if we are not filled with compassion then what's the point if we are not on fire for Jesus and his mission for his church what's the point why are we here why are we sitting here today I think it tells us in verse 6, though, look with me. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. I love this last part. But what I do have, I give to you. What a servant-minded phrase. That I don't have much, but I'm going to give you something, right? I I may not be able to do what you want me to do, but I'm going to try. I'm going to give something to you. And I think to have an attitude like that, we have to have a mission mindset, Right, We do not simply acknowledge that God's will will perfectly be done in heaven. Right, We offer our hands and feet to work uh, with God to bring his kingdom to this world. And I think about Peter could have just said, like, hey, like, Jesus loves you, man. Chunked the deuces and walked out, right? Right, we just shared the love of Jesus right there. But he didn't just want to do that. He wanted to do something greater than that because he didn't want to just help the man in his present condition. He wanted to transform the man. He wanted, to transform in the, he wanted to transform his life for Jesus. How many of us today want to transform lives for Jesus? We have to be people that are seeing needs and meeting those needs, right? With the power that lives in us, which is the Holy Spirit, we have to be people who are willing to offer something towards the kingdom. James chapter two, verse 14. Many of y'all probably heard it. It says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they needed for the body, what good is that? I love this last part. It's thoughts of faith by itself, if it does not have works, it is dead. Guys, we are the hands and the feet of the church. Our services that we offer combine to bring the kingdom of Jesus to the lost, whether you serve on just a regular Sunday team, or whether you make the coffee, or whether you teach the kids, or whether you teach New Day Bible study, or whether you're preaching the word, right? We are combining together to serve the mission of the church. And maybe we can't do everything, but we've got an attitude of, we're going to do something, right? We're going to do something for the kingdom of Jesus, right? We, and we can say, I... I'm limited in my human abilities, right? I can't do everything, but I'm going to give what I can. Service in action is one of the easiest ways that we can serve to show compassion in people's lives, but it does take some work to get mission mindset ready for it because we are so inward focused. I mean, think about it, right? We are so stuck up on ourselves sometimes. We're so stuck up on our our selfishness, right? Sometimes we get in these ruts where we're like, my needs and my needs and my wants and what I want, right? We get in ruts and we don't care about anyone else or anything right right now. And so I understand though, sometimes we need to be filled, right? We have to be filled up to be able to pour out to some people. But I think some people take it to the next level where it's like, my needs, my needs, my needs. Could it be that the key to reaching your needs is to reach out and help someone else reach their needs? The power of service in the church is full of compassion. It's the great power of the Holy Spirit. And I told you about my title today, right? Calm meaning together. Passion meaning a strong feeling towards. And whenever you put those things together, that's when you find compassion, right? A passion-focused mission from all of us coming together makes compassion And I believe compassion is when everybody has the same mission, the same mindset, with the same passion to make a difference. And it's not only serving on Sundays, because you can always serve someone else outside of these walls. It's not just here. Last week we we talked about community in the church, but it's more than just this, right? It's reaching the loss outside of here. Let's be a church with the attitude of see a need and meet a need. If we were a church of see a need, meet a need it would make so much of a difference. And maybe some of us today need to be reignited by the Holy Spirit, right? Something needs to burn inside of you. Something needs to go off so strong inside of you. You have to get to a place in your life where you're like, I can't do this anymore. I have to serve. I have to pour out. I have to help people. That is ultimate compassion. We have to understand that people are suffering every day without Jesus. Every single day that goes by is another day that someone did not receive compassion from us. But what I love in this scripture today is it doesn't say just compassion does everything. I love Peter and John's faith through the process. The faith of knowing how powerful Jesus is to heal the cripple, but not just heal him physically, but to heal him spiritually, right? Their expectations of God are so high. But I think a lot of us today, our expectations of God are so low. We we are often too ready to settle for much less than God wants to give to us. We are often ready to settle so low. We we believe that our low expectations from God is going to rob us, and it does. When you have low expectations of God, it robs you from what he's trying to do in your life, to use you to transform other people's lives, right? We get to this mindset of, I can't do it. Why, Why would God use me? You know, why share the power of Jesus? It's not like anything's going to happen. And that runs through people's minds because I've been like that before. I've been to the point where I'm like, sharing the love of Jesus doesn't matter. It's not like it's going to do anything. We have to get rid of that because when we have that mindset like that, we have just robbed ourselves from every opportunity that God was about to use you for. And we need to start lifting our expectations today for our all-loving and our all-powerful and our all-compassionate God. And the reason why you should allow him to use you for something greater, and the reason why you should uh, allow him to use you to share the love of Jesus is because I believe that compassion is Jesus. I want all of us to look at the life of Jesus. Look at his many miracles. He healed lepers. He raised the dead to life. He healed the crippled. He healed the blind. But what I want you to see is that compassion always preceded the miracle. Right? Compassion always preceded the miracle. In every circumstance, in every miracle, in every relationship, Jesus shows us how valuable compassion is, right? Jesus, he raises new people to life. He he changes people's lives. And I think about how many people he raised up as disciples. See, compassion is looking for the sick. It's looking for the hurting. It's looking for the broken. It's looking for the suffering. It's looking for the sinner. Isn't that what Jesus does? He looks for people like that. And if Jesus is the head of the church, don't you think that we should be seeking the same thing. So not only should we have an attitude of see a need, meet a need. We should have an attitude of I will because he did. I will because he did. To reach the loss, to be a movement of God, to, to do anything to transform lives, compassion has to precede anything that we do. And I love, out of all of this, that Jesus doesn't just teach us some things in the Bible. He doesn't just show us some miracles to learn from. He shows us the ultimate form of compassion by sacrificing himself for us. What better way to display compassion for someone else than to sacrifice yourself so that way we can now be reconciled with him? What better way of compassion is there? And I'm so glad that I had the gospel of Jesus Christ to share with so many different people, and we should be too, because at one point, I needed it the most. At one point in here, everyone was wanderers. At one point, everyone in here was broken. At one point, everyone in here was lost. But someone shared the love of Jesus in your life. I remember my friend that I talked about in the beginning. He said, because compassion brought him to church. But what I love the most is the very end, he said something that stood out to me the most. He said, Colby, I wanted money. I wanted cars. I wanted girls. I wanted to have a life of violence and gangs. I wanted to pursue a life that was filled with drugs and alcohol. And the time that I invited to church was one week before he was already planning to rob a house for a gang initiation. And he said, Colby, I thank God every single day that I got what I needed and not what I wanted. Aren't you so glad that you got what you needed and not what you wanted? Our God is so compassionate. Our Savior is so compassionate that he did what any great father would do. He gave his children what we needed and not what we wanted. What is stopping you from having compassion today? What is causing the barrier between the people that you need to be ministering to and you. So as we draw to a close this morning, I want you to see that you can be a difference maker. I want you to see that you can be a world changer. That you have been given the best gift that you could ever receive past eternity, which is the Holy Spirit that lives within you. I want you to see how much compassion that the love of Jesus is that resides in you today. And we came in today with a lot of suffering. And we came in today with a lot of stress. And we came in today with a lot of anxiety. And we came in today with a lot of worrying. we're all far from perfection. But aren't you glad that God meets our indifferences with forgiveness? Aren't you glad that the blood that was shed for us meets our indifferences? Aren't you glad that the body that was broken for us it meets our indifferences and it forgives? I think a lot of people look at this story and they forget who Peter really was. This man in the story, he's an everyday walk-in-the-park fisherman. And fishermen at that time, they were known to be violent people. He cursed, he was not well-mannered, he sinned just like everyone else. But what we see is that he becomes the first disciple, right? And he's the first one that really truly seeks God in everything he does. He drops the nets, he drops everything and follows after him. But I think we forget about one story though. Was that when he was in the boat and Jesus was walking on the water to them, he called for Peter to walk out to the water to him. And Peter having extreme faith does. He gets out of the boat and goes. But as he's walking, his faith that he originally had Starts trickling down. And he goes from extreme faith to extreme doubt and started to sing. But watch this. But Jesus reaches out and saves him and pulls him up. He meets our indifferences with forgiveness. I can't help... But think about when Peter looked at this crippled man in the eye, when he said to look at me, that he saw himself on the day that Jesus met him. Because when Jesus met Peter, he didn't look at Peter and see a sinner. He didn't look at Peter and see a broken person. He didn't look at Peter and see a hopeless person. He looked at Peter and seen a child of God. And I think in the same way, Peter looked at this crippled man at the beautiful gate, and he didn't see a crippled man. He didn't see a broken man. He didn't see a man that was left for dead. He's seen a child of God. Compassion is seeing more in the person, even when they can't even see it. Because God looked at you and seen way more in you than what you could ever even know. So I look around this room, I see 200 plus people. And I think about how much of a difference that we can make if we went out into the world and shared compassion. If we shared the love of Jesus. How much of a difference we would make if we looked at people and we see in children of God. Because what I think about the most, whether you get anything from this sermon or not, at the end of the day, we were all the crippled man at the gate. We were lost. We were hopeless. But someone looked at you and didn't see a sinner, someone that didn't deserve the love of Jesus, they looked at you in the eye and seen a child of God. Guys, there's a kingdom to come. God's will will be done in earth as it is in heaven. If we let him use us to transform the world. I said, compassion is the mission. I said mission is Jesus, I think the ultimate thing is that Jesus is the mission. It's the ultimate form of compassion you can ever share in someone else's lives. So let's go out and let's be a difference, right? Let's get up and walk, right? The old man, he, the crippled man, he gets up, he walks, and he goes and praises God in the temple, Why are we not going and praising God in the temple? Because someone saved your life. Someone shared the love of Jesus with you. So as we leave here today, we need to get up and walk. And we need to praise his name for giving us the ultimate form of compassion and giving us what we needed and not what we wanted. Let me pray for you all today. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you so much, Lord, that when you look at us in the eye, Lord, you don't see a broken person, you don't see a hopeless person, you see us as your children. Lord, I pray because someone shared the love of compassion with us, Lord, that when we step out of these doors, Lord, we leave different than when we came in. And we want to transform lives. And we want to tell people about you, Lord. Lord, thank you for giving us what we needed and not what we wanted. So we love you. We pray all this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.